Welcome to Bramasol's Insights to Action podcast library of topics covering regulatory compliance, reporting, disclosures, financial management, and financial transformation technologies. Bramasol is the leader in SAP-based finance solutions and the co-innovator with SAP on developing and deploying purpose-built compliance capabilities. Learn more about Bramasol at www.bramasol.com. Hello, this is Jim Hunt for Bramasol's Insights to Action podcast series. I'm really pleased today to have uh, Birgit Starmans back with us. Um, Birgit is the global head of Office of the CFO uh, Center of Excellence Thought Leadership Strategy and Programs in the SAP Global Center, Center of Excellence for Finance and Risk. And today we're going to talk about a really interesting kind of um, high level issue with some drill down to it. We're going to talk about um, centralization versus decentralization in the finance and risk space. So, uh, Birgit, it's really great to have you. Welcome. Thank you so much, Jim. It's great to be here. Can uh, Maybe we can just start off if you can give us an overview of the kinds of issues surrounding finance, uh, centralization, and decentralization. Um, sure. I feel like centralization and decentralization are almost conflicting priorities when it comes to finance and risk. So you do want consistent processes. And if you have multiple locations, especially a lot of companies are going global, that's really supported by a more centralized way of working. So that's really the centralization aspect. The thing is, there are a lot of local regulations that are in place down to various jurisdictions, you know, whether it be country, county, state, city, etc. So sometimes those regulations are very specific and they're not global. So that's something that's supported by decentralized processes because you wouldn't want to take a regulation that you have in Germany, for example, and apply that into the US and vice versa. So finance really needs to strike a balance between those two different priorities. So uh, maybe we can drill down a little bit into the local and regional country specific regulations and what sorts of things um, companies might run into that have to be tailored to regions. Definitely, because they're regulated for each jurisdiction. So we have financial statements and disclosures. We have tax filings. We have privacy laws. So companies that are across the globe really need to meet every regulation. It doesn't really matter where they are headquartered, but it matters where they're actually doing business, whether that business is with customers or with suppliers. And sometimes it's even down to the city level. So for example, if you look at Pennsylvania, our SAP America headquarters, there are taxes that are associated, not just federal, not just state, but also county, and also the city of Philadelphia. But of course, we're in Newtown Square now. But each of those has different levels of regulations and different levels of disclosures and actually different additional tax rates that pile on top of one another. And each country has different rules as well. Uh, if you look at Brazil, which is the poster child for complexity when it comes to their tax regulations and their tax laws. So that's actually extremely difficult. And that really requires very specific experience. And those regulations are not widespread. They're really only specific to Brazil. 
And then when you look at privacy, there are a lot of different rules all over the place. So we have GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation. So that's really in the European Union or the EU countries. And it has specific regulations about where data can be stored and who has access to the data and how quickly anyone needs to be informed about any kind of a breach. And there are some hefty fines associated with not being able to meet that. Also, if any one of your business partners wants their data deleted, you need to also do that within that, that specific time frame. And that means that a person, as defined by GDPR, could be an employee, it could be a customer, it could be a vendor, it could be a consumer. So there are a lot of different rules associated with that. And that right now is specific to obviously EU countries, also any company that does business in the EU, regardless of where their headquarters sits. And actually, even if they are not doing business, for example, with a um, EU customer or vendor, if you even have an employee that has a nationality of the EU, they also have rights to those protections that are available under GDPR. So this is where it becomes extremely complex. And not a lot of other countries right now have that in place, but we're starting to see that. And another example of us looking at a state-specific rule that's not really US-specific yet, we have the California Consumer Privacy Act of 2020. Related to the consumer aspect of it, but still, it's very similar privacy laws that are already in place for California, and we expect that that will expand into just beyond consumers as well, and also different states being able to put that in place. So we're really seeing a push towards privacy, especially as we're seeing a lot of risk mitigation that we need to do with a lot of phishing and scams and frauds. Um, so we're really being inundated with that. So I would say companies as well as individuals are more and more concerned about privacy. You know, th that's interesting. I, if I were giving this talk, and it's a good thing I'm not, I would have thought um, the issue is, do I have um, a facility in a particular country? Do, do I have operations there? But it's not as clear cut as, as that by any means, is it? It's not as clear cut because there are all of these different scenarios that played out. Say you have a loyalty card and you live in the US, but you're not a US citizen. If you go in and want your data deleted, the company has to do it. And that's really an extension. I don't think we've gotten that granular in a lot of our conversations, but it's not just the facilities. If, if you're getting uh, supplies, so one of your vendors is sitting in one of the EU countries, then it also applies because you're doing business there, even though you might not have a physical location there. And I would say right now, especially with the pandemic, then those lines become very blurred as to where do you physically sit versus where are you doing business and what are the alliances, so to speak, you know, whether it's citizenship, whether it's doing business with um, an entity that is located in the European country. So all of those things apply when it comes to GDPR, which is why it's very complex. And by not abiding by those, going back to the financial impact, there are some very stringent fines that are associated with that. Yeah, not to say that people aren't taking advantage of it. I think right after it went, in, went into effect, there are a couple of individual lawyers that were trying to sue everybody, <laughs> even though there was a 
uh, clause that says that, okay, we just put it into effect. Yeah, we knew about it, but if you're in the process of working on it and can show us a timeline, yeah, that doesn't apply, but you do have to meet that eventually, even though it might not be on day one. But day one is not 2020. I mean, there's the California Consumer Privacy Act, which yeah, day one was in 2020, but uh, GDPR has been around for longer than that. Right. So let's look at the flip side then. So centralization is probably more efficient from an enterprise perspective. So companies would probably have a bias toward that centralization. But uh, let's talk a little bit about um, particular aspect. Well, there's definitely centralization when it comes to consistency. That being said, even though a process might be centralized, you still can't ignore the rules that are applying to different jurisdictions where you do business. You still have to take advantage of that. But centralization also means that a lot of your processes are consistent. I used to joke, how many ways is it possible to clear an open item? There's a ton. <laughs> and they may be influenced by the way that um, your different local systems are set up. And that's sometimes the problem of having a lot of different backend systems that are might, might be configured just a little bit differently. So there are maybe nuances that don't really need to be there and that aren't as efficient. So when you're centralizing certain processes, it is more consistency in terms of dealing with your customers, in terms of dealing with your vendors. I mean, if you've got a customer that's also doing business in all of the different jurisdictions that you're doing business in, at that point, you want to be able to handle it differently. Um, one of my jokes was also back in consulting, we would have different partners from different counties and different states that are approaching the same customer with different offerings, which makes absolutely no sense. But so when if a company is selling something to a customer, you don't want to have different rules in place fundamentally, just because you're doing business in a different country. Especially if you start those entities within your own company start competing with each other and discounting. That's, that's not good for you. No, it's not good. It's not, it's not to take away the ability to discount in certain situations, but you don't want to make it a habit in one country versus another one because that really doesn't make sense and it makes everybody jump through hoops on both sides. So you want to make sure that customers or vendors are treated, being treated consistently. Um, also employees being treated consistently. Yeah, of course, there are some things uh, that you can expense in one jurisdiction, maybe not in another because of legalities. But in general, you don't want to have one country known as being more lenient than another when it comes to approving certain things, everything from expenses to vacations to you know, how anything is handled. So you want to be very consistent when it comes to that. And from a financial perspective, you have to be very consistent because you don't want to be using different ways to convert your currency because ultimately you can do a local close which might be in one currency but as you roll up through the different groups within a corporation all the way up to headquarters you don't want to be converting currency in a different way because that becomes very complex to solve just at the headquarter level if you're using you know, here's the average or here's what the daily currency conversion is on the day the transaction actually transpired you might have different ways that that can be done. And SAP as a system supports all of them, but you need to be consistent in the way that you do it as you roll up and consolidate so that you can have those disclosures, financial disclosures, um, especially when you get up to the corporate level. So it's very important that that is solved and that is really more efficient on a 
corporate level or a centralized level? Yeah, I was going to ask about disclosures and right along with that um, management analytics and visibility, you want to have a certain amount of data consistency across the entire enterprise so that you can um, run reports, drill down and see what's going on and make comparisons. Yeah, I would say consistency ex is extremely important because you want to compare apples with apples, not apples with oranges. And yeah, the other thing is um, analytics is super important on how you drill down. And yeah, you can get back down to the transactional level, for example. But yeah, here's a great example. Um, there's one company in my last day of, one of my last projects in consulting before I joined SAP as a non-consultant. Uh, there's a company that made the decision that they actually want to have three separate instances for their three different business units. And it made sense from a manufacturing point of view, but there is a concern in that company that things would not be consistent from a financial standpoint. And these are the days before we had a BW. So we explained to them, there's not gonna be one button that gives you a consolidated view of everything. And they said they understood multiple times. Of course, as soon as we go live, they said, where's that one button? But the other thing, of course, that's, yeah, again, this was the days before we had BW or BI. And it was interesting because they wanted to make sure that their financial and management accounting processes were similar. So the project was actually called commonality project. So we had almost a pre-project to the different business unit implementations where we came up with what is the standard way to do things from a financial and controlling standpoint. And that got rolled out to the three different implementations. And then the different business units would actually have to make a case in terms of maybe doing something a little bit differently. And you know, when it came to the GL, mostly the answer was no. <laughs> when it came to some things with management accounting and how you do allocations, uh, there would be some cases that could be made. But that was actually a way to do centralization, but it was uh, very manual. I would say today we have a lot of tools in place and you mentioned a lot of the BI tools um, are SAC or SAP cloud analytics um, or analytics in the cloud. So there we can actually go across systems because different systems can feed into one source of the truth so that we can actually see things on a consistent way. So now we're able to handle that in a more automated way. And we're able to pull together information that used to sit in different systems where you would have to download it from different systems and then manually consolidate that. So now we can actually do that from a system standpoint, which is a huge benefit that we have systems now to support what customers actually want to do. So they can handle things in a more decentralized way in the back end, and then centralize it on the way up in terms of how it's reported. So that gives them the opportunity to kind of balance that centralization and decentralization. Any other things that help them with that balance? Um, I would say that there are different models that are in place. Um, so for example, shared services. So shared services can address these issues. Um, yeah, I like to say when I first started with SAP back in 1990, my expense report went to Palo Alto. Then we centralized across the US, then it went to Newtown Square. Now we have three shared services in place and yeah, for three different, I would say, global locations just to deal with time zones, right? So one in Europe, one in the Americas, and then one for APJ. And it keeps those processes more centralized, but then also because we've got three shared service centers, they also understand what some of the nuances are on a more jurisdiction by jurisdiction level. So that's extremely important to have that model in place 
you know, whether or not you're using a system to control that or not, having that a shared service center and that whole concept. Of course, with uh, our shared services framework, we support those kinds of processes. So that's been very critical. Uh, we also have now technologies such as machine learning um, yeah, and predictive in order to make that happen. So being able to see this is an exception and then you can make the determination, oh, is that because you know, we're using the rules you know, across the entire company versus being very specific about some of the localizations that are in place for a company code or legal entity. So we definitely have those processes in place that really help balance those things out. And that's really helpful because yeah, a tool for the tool's sake doesn't make sense, but a tool that really helps solve a business problem. And so yeah, the problem that we're solving is that we can do things on a local level to make sure that when it comes to our disclosures, our XBRL filings that happen electronically at every jurisdiction level, those are in place, as well as making sure that everything is consistent um, and really making sure that everything has been checked off and is consistent when it comes to disclosures at the corporate level. You know, with all of the consolidations of the processes, et cetera, that, that happen there. So we have tools for all of these different scenarios. So that way we can really strike a balance between the localized and the centralized processes. So that, you gave a couple of good examples of shared services uh, like expense reports and some of the HR things. Can you maybe kind of give a short list or uh, the key functions that you typically see companies implement in a shared services model? Um, well, I think the transactional ones are the ones that are usually implemented first. So you have things like accounts receivable, accounts payable, asset management. You know, so all of those things that deal with the balance sheet actually um, is typically something that gets attacked first. Um, you know, management accounting, I think, is a little bit more complex because of the way that allocations happen. And that is very tied to the type of manufacturing. Is it you know, make to stock, make to order? Is it discrete? Is it process? Is it repetitive manufacturing? So the way that you would handle allocations is a little bit different in each one of those environments. So that's more difficult to put into a shared services model. But all of those different transactional elements, AR, AP, assets, um, expense accounts, et cetera, it, that's usually first on the list when it comes to shared services. Okay, perfect. Uh, we're coming up on um, the close of our available time, but um, could you talk some about what companies should be doing now to both understand their centralization versus decentralization situation and then how to address these issues? Yeah, I would, I would say it's basically looking at your processes and you know, where you do have nuances that are regulated versus where you're just doing things differently because, quote unquote, we've always done them that way. Um, and also, I would say taking off one bite at a time. We don't really see big bang projects anymore like we used to in the 80s and 90s. So now it's really more about being very targeted. And I would say through the, through the pandemic, we see a lot of talk about resilience and really taking points where you can address them now and address them quickly for a quick ROI. And we actually see a lot of companies turning towards central finance. And there also there's a misconception that it's an all or nothing scenario. And it's not. Some companies will choose to, yes, use central finance for all of their finance immediately. Some other companies decide to take this stepwise approach. For example, starting with analytics, let's pull together all of this information that might be in disparate backend systems. And let's make sure that we can leverage the new technology 
in order to get that more centralized analytics viewpoint. Then um, other companies will say, oh, well, maybe we want to go beyond that. We want to start hitting some of the transactional pieces. Then they might choose to say, okay, we're going to put all of accounts receivable on central finance, or maybe we want all financial processes in this one company code or legal entity to go on central finance. But that way you still avoid an upgrade of the backend systems. And especially when it comes to things like the supply chain, you don't need to touch that right away, but you can still leverage the new technologies, including predictive, that's part of central finance and the analytics associated with that. So basically taking a look to see really what do you get the quickest ROI from? And a lot of cases, it is really that analytics piece, but being able to centralize those things and then using central finance to help you put things in one place for one source of the truth, really one process at a time, if that's what you want. If you still want to do Big Bang, you can, but I would say these days there's little appetite for that. And we've identified some different topics, uh, you know, whether it's within close or whether it's with um, access control, where we can have very quick ROI, very quick point solutions that will help companies, and then they can expand that later on. I would assume that as they're doing the incremental uh, implementation uh, of various functions with central finance, that in the big picture, uh, that probably aligns well for companies in the SAP ecosystem to be able to move incrementally while getting ROI in the process toward um, eventual S4 implementation. I would say yes, that's, that's a really good summary. Uh, that being said, it's not just for install base. So I mean, while we would like to think that everybody uses all SAP everywhere, <laughs> um, there are non-SAP systems and you can actually put central finance in front of all non-SAP systems. So we can take information from SAP as well as non-SAP. So that's yeah, a big benefit also. Yeah, I've had people emphasize the agnostic aspects of it too. So back to our centralization versus decentralization. If I were a company that was making an acquisition of an entity in Europe that maybe isn't SAP, the agnostic nature of central finance could help me do some centralization without having to totally disrupt those functions. Right. And then the other point is just because it's sitting in central finance doesn't mean you can't have processes configured differently for different jurisdictions. So that doesn't go away. Just like your standard you know, finance systems that you have in place, whether it's ECC or S4HANA, um, yeah, you can still do things differently by jurisdiction, but then yeah, you want that all in one place. Yeah, again, just to limit the millions of ways that you can clear an open item, the different ways that you can do currency conversion. Some of those things you want to make sure are consistent, but other things you can still handle on a jurisdictional basis. So that's the nice thing about splitting the difference between the two, making both of them available within the same system. So this has been a really great overview. So obviously, it's not an either-or centralization versus decentralization. It's almost always a both. Ideally, it's both. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where uh, too much of a good thing, right? So you, you definitely want a balance between the two because you, know, you have to have things from a legal perspective. You have to have things rolling up consistently. Um, yeah, revenue recognition is another good example of that. But there are other there are other jurisdictions that just have certain regulations that you still have to meet. So it's beneficial both from a legal perspective as well as from a company operations perspective, like financial operations and risk management.
That's a great summary, uh, Birgit. Thank you very much. This has uh, been very useful and I've learned things from you again. I appreciate it. It was great to be here, Jim. Looking forward to the next one. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Bramasol's Insights to Action podcast series. We hope that you found it helpful. To ensure that you never miss a future episode, you can subscribe to Bramasol at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Bramasol and detail on our solutions for compliance optimization and financial transformation, please visit www.bramasol.com or email us at info at bramasol.com.